Hello and welcome to the Nursery and Preschool Chat Room podcast. Join the Twinkle team as we talk about life as a preschool and nursery practitioner. We'll share our honest thoughts and experiences on a range of topics that affect early years practitioners every day in their settings. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Nursery and Preschool Chat Room. I'm Katie. And I'm Charlotte. And I'm Fliss. So in today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the proposed changes to the Early Years Foundation stage. And these changes are all aiming to offer providers more flexibility in terms of staffing requirements and ratios, reduce the burdens that we've all been complaining about for many years, and to enable practitioners to give a higher quality early education to fingers children in our care. It's also going to be making it easier for new staff to join the workforce, for people to progress in their careers too. So it's all about retaining staff as well. So we're not going to go through every single point on the consultation. We just thought we'd go through the ones that we found most interesting. And one of the biggest changes that I thought was the idea that they're looking to remove the requirement for level threes to hold a GCSE or equivalent in maths. What do you guys think about that one as a starting point? I think a lot of early years practitioners feel that they can't do their level three because they haven't got the skills in the math. So it's holding them back. I mean, only yesterday I saw someone on one of our Facebook groups saying that they're in this situation where they want to progress and do their level three, but they can't do the maths. Like they're not passing it. So I think it'll really help them practitioners that want to progress to the level three because they've got the skills in everything else that they need to do. And it's just a one little maths qualification holding you back and in reality with the children we're counting to five and ten like you don't need to know algebra dear <laughs> we're not doing syncos and tan anymore and I can't <laughs> even remember what they were they've updated the requirements to say managers must have a GCSE or equivalent in math so you'll be able to be taken into a management role but you'll have two years to get that sorted out so you'll need to get that equivalent Something we talk about a lot for early years practitioners is this natural ability with the children and how it's very much more about your innate characteristics, your personality traits, like are you warm, are you friendly, can you be a really positive, do you form good relationships with the children and all of these skills don't necessarily matter if you can work out the angle of a dodecahedron or a hexagon. I think it would be a really welcome change. I think the only potential issue is if we were looking at sort of professionalizing the sector which we spoke about before which is this idea of would a higher qualification requirement higher entry points into the earlier setting especially private settings would that mean that we get more occupational respect would people respect earlier practitioners more stop seeing us as glorified babysitters which could result in things like higher pay but i think it would really solve the problems and the pains that we have now in the earlier sector like you said for this like we we don't have enough staff now we don't have enough level threes this could really make a big difference to that so it's kind of trying to balance those two up and see which is more important and I think this could really have a long-term impact not just getting people through now. Yeah I agree and obviously the change is it's managers would still need to do their maths qualification I mean that makes more sense because managers will be dealing a lot more with higher numbers and the finance side of running a nursery I think in general the way that they've set it out I think makes sense. I think you could see it as like a more increased workload for managers but I would then question Surely a manager should be is responsible for the quality of the maths provision anyway. Like you would be expecting your room to be doing it. But as a manager, it all comes down to you anyway. So I don't know if I personally think there's that much more responsibility involved in that one for a manager. 
So one of the other proposed changes is the requirement in the EYFS changing the language from must to should or may for providers supporting English as an additional language to develop their home language. Currently, it's a must. You have to support their home language in practice. And they're on about changing this basically to should or may. And I think with this one, I think it depends which word they use. I think there's quite a difference between should and may and how people will interpret that. Should, I think... A lot of settings will still use their home language. May, I think some settings will think, oh, no, we don't have to do this. So they don't do it. But when you actually think about a child who's got English as an additional language, especially when they're younger and they're developing their own speech in their home language, when they join a setting, they're going to need some support with settling in. So one of the strategies, language strategies that you use is home language, getting them basic buzzwords in their language so you can communicate with them and start the process of them learning English as an additional language and then it's a starting point so I wouldn't want the language in the EYFS to affect how settings actually are in practice and ignore that that's a vital step in the children's language acquisition. Yeah and I think that's a really good point because we've seen it in the previous versions of the EYFS how unclear language leads to really unclear practice sometimes and we'll touch on some of these other things later but we know that they in the last EYFS the current one very unclear about what level six practitioner what degrees count towards the one to 13 ratios and that's led to so much confusion and what they've done in the current EYFS with the um, expectations of whether you should or should not present evidence of assessment the language there is quite unclear so it leads to some Ofsted inspectors asking settings for evidence and some not and then there's like a disconnect there so I think you're right and we're still responsible as practitioners to do everything we can for the children especially when they're EAL they're going to need that little bit of extra support with language and settling in and I wouldn't want that to become minimised because mm-hmm. they used one word, which is a bit iffy. I mean, how it's worded in the changes, like, don't get me wrong, it can understand that in an area you might not have any of the staff that speak the language fluently. So it is hard as a practitioner to try and speak a language that you're not familiar with to the child. So I think they're doing it for the right reasons. But I just think you, there is them little steps where you don't want children to get missed out and that sort of thing and in their development. It does put a focus on children like acquiring English as a language which of course is something they're going to need if they're going to be staying in England but there needs to be the balance as well because like we know that just because a child can't necessarily express themselves in English their home language they might be incredibly smart we just don't recognize that so there just needs to be a balance I think. We used to get the parents to come in and choose some words in their language and write it down and we used to get them to say it to us and try to teach us certain words so that we could use it then communicate with their child because I used to like to be able to talk to them try talk to them in their language I used to find it quite fun to learn some new words we used to have a lot of Polish children so yeah it was just nice to to learn some new words and language on my part as well and it's not like anyone's asking you to become fluent in another language like that's no. never been an expectation like you said just buzzwords for example if you're working with a baby it's just things like nappy bottle milk sleep those key words isn't it and you've got to remember as well they're in England so they're gonna learn English so it's not saying that you have to progress their home language up until like the level they should be at if they were had the native tongue of English you're not saying they have to do that but it is when they're starting to learn English they that's when the home language is so important and I don't yeah I think how it's worded now and it's saying that we should support the home language I think that's where it it confuses a lot of practitioners because it's it's kind of phrased in a way that you have to have to support them all the way up until like the high end of the early learning goals you know what I mean like yeah 
One of the other changes that they are looking at is clarifying the level six requirements to reflect the DfE policy that only QTS, EYTS and EYPS may operate one to 13 ratio. This one isn't actually a change. It's just a clarification because I think we mentioned before, there's been so much confusion about this in the past. I always see posts on social media about asking if this degree counts or if this degree counts. I think it's really important that we finally have that official clarification from them about what does and doesn't count. When you see people on social media asking about it, there's so many different responses from different people saying different things. Yeah, consistency within the sector, which is, to be honest, where we should already be. And talking about that massive spreadsheet that has all the qualifications that count as full and relevant, and I actually find that very complicated to use. It was originally created so we could see which qualifications were fully relevant as you need to be counted in a level three ratio. You need to have like an assessed observation basically of you in practice. There's a lot of qualifications that don't have that because it wasn't super clear before. They're going to be introducing an experience-based practice route that will give someone the same status as a level three practitioner, like a full qualified one but it's not a formal qualification. So it's kind of like a top up to meet that gap. So it's really important to note with that, you already need to have done like a lot of things to be counted as a level three. So it's not just taking away the formal qualification requirements. It's like you've completed most of the checklist to be counted as level three. This is just going to be topping up and filling the gaps to get you there. It's not a brand new qualification on its own, which I think needs to be made really clear if they decide to move forward with it. Yeah, because initially when I read this, at first I thought it was a new route into early years and I was like wait what they're not doing a qualification here how does that work out but actually when you read it in depth I think this is now yeah like you say they're gonna need to provide a lot of clarification on this as well I think it'll be welcome there is a lot of qualifications out there that there's a lot of question marks around but they've clearly done some base knowledge in early years and working with young children so this will be a nice top up I also think as well, like we have to acknowledge that it's 2023. It's a modern world and some people are doing online courses. And for someone who wants to get into the sector, but might not immediately be able to jump in on an apprentice wage, or they've got a lot going on in their life and this is something they'd like to do in the future, it could potentially allow people to study online and then use this to top them up to be fully qualified. Like, I think it does open up some new paths into early years, which could be really helpful in a time where we're screaming out for new practitioners and staff and the only issue that I potentially see with it is that its managers are required to submit evidence to the DfE for add-on effectively to be approved and I just think as a manager your workload is already absolutely insane so if that I would personally want to see that sort of widened maybe like the management team do it not just the manager exactly placement students maybe just like it's a bit of a wider responsibility because actually a manager might not even be seeing this person in practice it completely depends how the settings run as we all know I was going to say your room leaders would probably have a lot of evidence to put forward, especially if that person's in their room. That's a really good point because you'd be best placed as a room leader to see this isn't just something I've seen in practice once or twice. Actually, I see them do this all the time. So they're also looking to reduce the required percentage of required level twos to 30% or 40% down from half. I think that's a really interesting one because I think it would really reduce pressures on the workforce because you'd be able to have more level twos in your room, more unqualified staff in your room potentially, which for some settings I actually don't think would be a problem because I see a lot of settings who have these amazing members of staff that they can't necessarily always give hours to because they don't match the ratio. So if you're fortunate to be in that position, that one's really useful. You know there's going to be some days where someone calls in sick and you have to be like oh you're just gonna have to it's just 
going to have to drop for the day, which could result in increased pressures in that room that day if you're working with a lot more new level twos, for example. It also states that it allows staff to commit more time to professional development. I feel like they've kind of just added that on to convince people of it, maybe. <laughs> because again, that would, that would be up to the setting, wouldn't it? That would be if they've, they're able and willing to give you time out during the workday to do CPD, which in my experience, I've never had time out while I've been at work to do CPD. I'm trying to be hopeful. But again, when a lot of these things and changes are proposed, I think it's often missed what it's actually like in reality working in a setting. They try and propose this stuff, but they don't actually realise that what day to day is like in a nursery. Then one of the points that I personally think is really interesting and something I've never actually considered before to make staffing requirements and flexibility in the rotors easier is they've they're consulting on changing the qualification for they're consulting on changing qualification requirements outside peak hours. So it wouldn't be that you need more or less staff. Like you would still follow the one to three, one to four, one to eight ratios. It would just be changing what qualifications are required. So you'd still need first aid. You'd still need to be following health and safety. I mean our peak hours were like up until shut <laughs> we had children like queuing outside to like when we mm-hmm. shut around half six seven o'clock at night I would feel a little bit uneasy putting less qualified staff in the morning or in the evening still because it was so busy and there was still quite a lot of things that needed I feel like it's just a weird one like I don't know where where they've got this one from I don't know if like obviously some settings might have asked for it because of I don't know obviously a lot of a lot of staff in nurseries they work a full day so they do open until close or they might do shifts so they might be doing it from a staffing point of view they're looking at actually either implementing what those core hours would be so you could say nine to five at peak times and you have to follow the qualification requirements so anything outside of that gives the settings more flexibility or it could be done on a setting by setting basis, which I think opens it up a little bit. I could see it working, I could see it not. So I think overall there are ups and downs with a lot of the points men- mentioned. And I can't emphasise enough that this is just a consultation. It doesn't mean that this is set in stone. So you can find it on the Department of Education's website and you can go through and add your own opinions to this, which will get submitted and reviewed and taken into account. There aren't any dates given. It's just here are a couple of ideas and there are a lot more than what we've spoken about. So it's definitely worth having a look. But I will say it is quite a large survey and you are going to have to set out quite a big chunk of time if you want to respond to it. It's not something you're going to be able to do within a 10 minute job on your own, because when I was looking through it, it took me a long time to sort of decipher some of the language as well. So you will need to set out some of the time as well. But by giving early year settings a little bit more freedom and flexibility to get new members of staff in, to provide continuous development for the staff that they already have, or to sort of make up for the gaps where staff are fantastic, but they can't be promoted. I think that is fantastic. And that's what we should be looking to do is upskilling our current workforce to retain them and welcome new entrants. However, you can feel within the consultation that the government is giving themselves some cover here. So with the announcement of the March 2023 spring budget, they said that they are going to, in a couple of years, provide funded childcare for all children above nine months old. Great in principle for families and parents, but what this means is that they need to find more staff in the earliest so they can cope with the demand that's going to come in with that. And it could be argued that by reducing the qualification requirement of the earliest sector, we're making it seem less important. We're putting a focus on care, which is important, but in a way that removes the focus from development and learning and education which doesn't feel like a step in the right direction. I think when you consider the morale that's currently in the earlier sector, I think it would be really, I think a lot of these are quite welcome, even though it is sort of balancing 
some of the good and some of the bad and seeing like the lesser of two evils for some of the situations I think which you can get out of what we've said so far so that's it for another episode of the nursery and preschool chat room you can follow us on a variety of social media channels including instagram tiktok facebook facebook groups pinterest if there's a social media channel we're probably on it in the meantime we'll speak to you soon bye bye, bye.